Well, good morning. Uh, Mike said, my name is Joel Bennett. I'm a member of the executive board team. Uh, as you may remember, uh, we try to get here each month uh, to share an update and pray with the congregation. And so today I wanted to provide a quick update on the congregational survey that went out a few weeks ago. Um, we were utilizing that survey uh, not only to get a pulse from the congregation, but also to collect some questions. And so we in all had 425 people respond. 97% uh, of them were in favor of transitioning to the sending network. And so as part of that process, as I mentioned, we, we were really looking to get questions. We want to make sure your questions are answered. And we, had, we received about 115 questions, uh, most of which are in two areas. Uh, the first one, why leave the RCA? And the second one really was focused on what is this sending network and what's it going to look like? And so you'll be seeing a frequently asked questions document um, that we prepared. It's very detailed to try to answer all of those questions um, over the next few weeks via email. Uh, but in the meantime, if you have questions, uh, feel free to reach out to your consistory members, uh, to the executive board. Um, we also have a, an email address, executiveboard at trcpella.com, because we want to make sure your questions are answered uh, throughout this process. Uh, you would have received an, a packet in the mail outlining the vote that we have today. And uh, really, that's the first step in the process. Uh, we, we really are focused on uh, some, some cleanup, some improvements to our Articles of Incorporation, one of which allows us to become our own 501c3, uh, because we are currently a 501c3 under the umbrella of the RCA. So this allows us to work independently uh, one way or the other. There's also some language in there um, that just needs to be updated uh, that hasn't been updated since 1971. And so uh, that was before I was born. That gives you... <laughs> so um, after today, we ask that you just, uh, if you're a member of this church, uh, that you utilize the two different uh, voting stations, one by the chapel, one down by the auditorium, uh, to cast your vote for those two provisions. So with that, I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today to be in your holy presence. We worship you for all the things you're doing in our lives, in this church, and in this world. As we continue to step into this change, we ask that you guide us in this process. Help us to hear your direction and be willing to follow you. We do not want to take one step outside of your will, and we ask that you provide a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray for the future of this church and how you will help us to continue to be a church that sends out servant-hearted disciples with a passion for Jesus into this world. We also pray for the Sending Network those guiding its creation, those churches considering joining, as well as those churches considering other options. At the end of the day, Lord, the end goal is that all of your churches will seek after you with passion, pursuing the lost, glorifying you, and pointing this world back to your holy presence. Now will you join me in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples if you do not know it, the words will be provided for you on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. One well, fact, I can invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 7. And I'd like to start with a kind of a caveat, if I may. We'll, we'll be telling you this uh, soon, how much longer I'll be your pastor, Lord willing, for several more years. Uh, but I'd like to increasingly, uh, if you'll let me, really push harder and harder into what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And this week, in this passage, we really, really are going to go deep into what that means. But it, it's connected to the word, the heart, the heart. So when I use the word heart, when we use the word heart in church, we have all kinds of ideas. I want to make sure we are clear on definition today. So the definition I'm using is the heart is the place where we think, feel, and will. The heart, we're going to see this in this passage, the heart is the place where we think, feel, and will. So let me give you just a couple examples of this, using four verses from Proverbs and the definition. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with what we think, what we feel, and what we will. And lean not your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. Second one. Above all else, above all else, above all else, guard your heart where we think, feel, and will. Listen to the next verse, part of the verse. For everything we do comes from this. Proverbs 4, 23. How about this one? 23, 19. Listen and be wise and set your heart thinking, feeling, willing on the right path. Last one, 2719. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. What we think, what we feel, what we will. Read again. As water reflects the face, so the heart reflects one's heart life. So let me tell you the story before we, we, we read it. The story is really interesting. In just a moment, I want to give you an overview of the whole book of Mark again. But for the first seven chapters, what Jesus is doing is trying to show them he is Messiah. And I'm going to use this phrase multiple times this morning. The rabbis taught. The rabbis taught that when Messiah came, the blind would see. When Messiah came, the deaf would hear. When Messiah came, the lame would walk. When Messiah came, the dead would be raised. What is Jesus doing in Mark 1 through 7? All of that. And so now in chapter 7, because of that, 
People walk 90 miles, nine zero miles. The religious leaders walk nine zero miles because they want to know what is going on here, because they know what Jesus is saying. Because the rabbis taught Messiah would do these things, and Jesus is doing all of it. So they walk 90 miles, and now they're going to check him out. And the only time in Mark when Jesus gets flaming mad is right here. And he gets flaming mad at the Kevins, the Pharisees. And the only time he uses the word hypocrite in the whole book of Mark is right here. And this is the story that's all connected to it. It's about being clean. Remember I told you that when Jesus came to say holiness is not located only in the temple. Holiness is found wherever Jesus is present. So here's the story that we're going to read in just a moment. What? Master, Jesus, Rabbi, why don't your disciples wash their hands? So this is what you were supposed to do before you ate. You had a special cup with two handles. You put pure water in it, and you held your hand a certain way. Google it if you want. Google Jewish, Orthodox Jewish hand washing. Wash it, wash it, and you had to put your hands a certain way and do all these different specific actions. You held your hands up like this, and you repeated this prayer. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, creator of the universe, who gives us his commandments and commanded us to wash our hands. If you did that, you could eat your food. But there was more. If you went to the market, so you go to Hy-Vee or Fairway, you go to the market and you purchase food. When you came home, you had to take a bath called a mikvah. You had to be completely clean before you could eat. Now listen to this. They were so fixated on external cleanliness, listen to this, that if washing your hands, not washing, listen to this, not washing your hands was a greater offense to God than adultery. So Rabbi, your disciples ain't washing their hands. And Jesus takes this whole story and turns it on its head. And he said, it's not on what the outside, it's what's here. Listen now, it's here. What we think, how we feel, what we will. So that's the story. And Jesus is going to invite us to have a tender, pure now, before we go there, I want to just remind you about the book of Mark. So here's from the Bible Project, a brief summary of the whole book of Mark. Would you please watch? The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus. And the earliest reliable tradition tells us that it was written by a guy named John Mark. Now, Mark didn't just grab a bunch of random stories about Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address some really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there because that's a term a lot of people like me aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. 
And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the Messianic King. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together, and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear, it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but as you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting start to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens so many times in Mark's account, it's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him to be Israel's Messiah. And so with all that in mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messianic King and it is not what they expected. He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this and he rebukes Jesus because there's no way he's gonna let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is, but it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them and every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay, so this launches us into the second half of the book, where Mark addresses the question of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He goes to Jerusalem, gets in conflict with the religious leaders, and gets arrested. And he's put on trial as someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's even given a crown and a purple robe like a king would get, but it is all a cruel joke. Then he's mocked and beaten and hung up on a cross where he dies. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character. A Roman soldier. Who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. That's the structure of the book of Mark. But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No, so on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there, instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid, and that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. So all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. 
And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? So before I read the passage, let me give you two sentences that I've used to frame it in my mind. So as I look at the passage, give me two sentences. Dirty hearts, not dirty hands. Or hand washing or heart watching. Let's look at the text together. Mark chapter 7. I'm going to read it, make some comments as we go through, try to explain it a bit, and then moving to the place of how do we apply this to our lives. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, 90 miles away, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees, now Mark is going to now do some explaining, the parentheses. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they take a bath. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Can you just stop for a second? So why are they doing this? They're just eating instead of doing what? Poor, poor, blessed art thou, king of the universe, O Lord our God. Why are they just eating their food? That's what's being asked, okay? Back to the text. Uh, and then he replied in verse 8, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, and this is the only place in Mark this word is used, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their thinking, their feeling, their willing are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. So now he's going to explain it. From verses 9 through 13, he explains it. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Now let me just stop for one second and explain what's going on here. So now, remember now, holiness for them is in the temple or it has to be how we live externally. Please hear the externally. So you gotta wash your hands. Gotta take a bath. You always get, it, let, me, let me paraphrase it. Dutch front city. The outside has gotta be just perfect. As long as the outside is perfect, then we must be holy. Now what this, no, Jesus is pushing, and this is why he goes to hypocrites. So then he says, you notice the traditions of man. So by this time in the history of the Jewish people, they are using 
the Mishnah and Talmud, which are the oral sayings of the rabbis. And these have superseded Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so the tradition of the elders is, I have to wash my hands. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, creator of the universe, before I can eat. Where is that in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy? So they developed this whole system of external cleansing. And that makes you holy. And that presents you as a holy person. And then Jesus gets pointed and he calls them a hypocrite. Why? Because he says, you stinkers. You stinkers. He uses the word korban. What's korban? Korban would be if, if, I, if, if Lane and I wanted to help my parents or her parents. But we said, nah, we're not going to give them any money. We're going to use that money for ourselves and buy ourselves a new car. But we'll tell the priests and the scribes that this money is korban, which means I don't have to help my parents anymore. And Jesus said, you hypocrites. You're worried about washing your hands? Rules of man? And you're dishonoring your parents? And Jesus just blows a gasket. He blows a gasket. The traditions of people have superseded the things of God. Let me just jump ahead now, one slide. Can I have slide eight, please, Morgan? Watch this. Look at the sentence I have here. Um, the, 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 the sentence, the ultimate test, there you go, the ultimate test. Now, I want, it's, it's this church or any church. The ultimate test of a religious tradition or practice is this. Does it invite us to love God and love neighbor, or does it not? If traditions or practices of a church, a community of people, inhibit us from loving, we are in trouble. Because Jesus was asked, Rabbi, tell us, what must we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, and I quote, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your will, your emotions, your passions. Soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If traditions and practice of a church inhibit loving God or people, those are man-made traditions. Am I speaking the truth? And in so many, it's so easy to go into this. This, this, is, this is the thing. So let me, let me segue a little bit here. So I told you, I, I'm, the longing of my heart before I die or leave is that everyone in this church knows how to make a deep connection with Jesus. And so I'm gonna, over these next years, I'm going to just keep pushing into this. Let me give you one example. We, make me sure, we believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, eh? We believe he's alive by his spirit, yes? We believe we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, yes? How do we do it? Your heart has to be open to Jesus. What we feel, think, and will needs to be connected to the heart of Jesus. And this is my concern with a living such a distracted life. So we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to learn together, and we are learning how to have a heart connection with Jesus' heart, his will, his emotions, his desires. 
So that's why he said in Matthew 6, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Seek it. Seek it. Search for it. Why? Because we need to have his heart. If we don't, you'll see in just a moment what kinds of people we become. So let me give you an example. I'm going to try to keep me real practical. So, so this is just me. But I am trying, I am trying to learn to say the name of Jesus or to say the Jesus prayer every minute of my day. I'm not successful. But I am trying, I am trying to keep my focus, my heart, my will, my desires, my feelings connected to Jesus. Now let me give you an, an illustration that's poor, but I think it kind of works. Soon I'll be married to Lane for 43 years, Lord willing. 43 years. Our life verse, two life verses are Genesis 1:24. You leave your father and mother, you cleave to each other, you become one flesh. We have sought for 43 years to be one flesh. One of heart, one of soul, one of spirit, one of body. And our second family life verse is Ephesians 5:21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because I want to be connected to Lane's heart, and she wants to be connected to mine. Feelings, emotions, desires. As much as I long to be connected to Lane, I want to be more connected with Jesus. So I'm trying all, I'm trying, listen, I'm training my mind. We can do this. I am training my mind to think Jesus. I'm trying all through the day. Now, let me give you another example. When it comes to reading scripture, we want to have the heart of Jesus. Here's a simple practice that I use. Before I write my sermon, work on a sermon, I sit in the quiet and I write the passage I'm going to share multiple times by hand. Why? Because something happens when I have to slow down and I'm forming letters that something begins to exchange between Jesus and me. Let me quote Jesus. Abide in me, make your home in me, Jesus said, and I will abide in you, make your, my home in you, and you will bear much fruit. So slowly, through the course of a week, I multiple times just write the scriptures. Why? I'm trying to be focused on the heart of Jesus. His thinking his feeling, his willing. Now, am I good at it? No. But I'm trying. Let me ask you, what things could you do as you were wired that you could use to connect with the heart of Jesus? Because as we continue down this road of, of human history, if I read the Old Testament correctly, life will become far more exciting in the, in the years ahead. Is that a nice way to say it? Listen to me. And rules like washing your hands ain't going to help. Rules like I got to do this and do this and do this. No, it's not. It's not going to help. We have to be connected to Jesus. Well, let me go on. Beating a dead horse to the ground. Let's go. A little farther. Uh, verse 14. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Let me quote Jesus. It is out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. 
So when we are unguarded moments, let me, let me, let me just keep messing with you a little bit. I'm trying to follow the Spirit. I'm trying to listen. So let me talk about the relationship with men and women, husbands and wives, specifically, but, but, but people who are cooked together, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. One example. Ephesians 5, last verse. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Here's what I observe in public settings. I can easily observe what people don't know I'm watching. That we can readily diminish the men, we can diminish our wives, our girlfriends, by things that are demeaning, belittling, um, diminishing. And our wives, girlfriends here, in a heart is deeply wounded. And then I watch in the same circle, women disrespecting their husbands, saying things that make fun of, and I watch husbands just pull back from their wives or girlfriends. And that's why in Ephesians 5 it says, husbands love your wives, because husbands, we don't love our wives naturally. And wives, respect your husbands, because women don't respect their husbands naturally. But if we have the heart of Jesus, we have his will, his thinking, his desires, all of a sudden people become precious and important and beautiful. It's interesting to me, the only people Jesus got mad at were the Mies. Of all the people in Israel, all those people, there were 9,000 Kevins. There were 9,000 Pharisees. You find me a place where Jesus is angry at anyone but the Kevins. And the Kevins are so worried about how we look. Do we have clean hands? Do we have nice heart? Do, do, do we look good? How do our kids look? How do we look? How do we look? Jesus doesn't care about that stuff. It's right here. He's concerned about what's in the heart, how we think, how we feel, how we desire. So that's when we've got to make connections with him. A little farther, a little farther, I'm losing you. Stay with me. Verse 17. Uh, no, go to 20. And then now he's going to talk about, he's going to talk about what, what looks like when our hearts are not right. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, their, mind, their thinking, their feeling, their willing, that evil thoughts come. And now the practices, thoughts and practices. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Let me do some synonyms. Sexual immorality. Young pe people sending sext, S-E-X-T-S, to each other. Having affairs. Involved in relationships that dishonor Jesus. Theft. Spending three hours a day at the workplace on your phone and not doing one's job. Murder. Calling someone a fool, an idiot, stupid, jerk, adultery. Jesus said, if you think sexual thoughts, you're doing sexual things. Greed. In the Word of Wall Street movie, greed is good. Greed is good in Pella. Yes? What do you think about that one? Just imagine, out in the, after the service, 
you heard somebody talking about having a sexual relationship that would dishonor Jesus, we'd be appalled, wouldn't we? Publicly just talking about it. Do we ever get appalled at the way we are greedy and envious and do things for financial gain that diminish other people, especially are those we love the most? Deceit, cheating on our taxes, lewdness, dressing inappropriately, envy, wishing what someone else had, slander, speaking ill, posting things that are mean, mean-spirited, arrogance, I'm right, you're wrong, and folly, being stupid. All these come from inside and defile a person. Jesus says, well, let me give you this slide. Can I have, Morgan, can I have this slide that has the bottom, the uh, slide seven? You agree with this statement? Each of us is defined by that which we hold in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our desires. If my heart is defiled, my heart becomes evil. And when just, I just read to you, it just happens. Because out of the overflow of the heart, we live. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart. Guard your mind, guard your feelings, guard your emotions. Why? Because that's the place from which all else springs. If my heart is clean and holy, what does my heart look like? Love, to will the good of another. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When I have the heart of Jesus, that's what people experience. When I have my heart, we see chapter 7, 21 through 23. And this is why, this is my push now, third time. I want us all to know how to have a real relationship with Jesus. I'm in a death situation uh, recently. And the person I was with, I had never prayed out loud in my life. And in the death situation, I said, you are today. And we did. And God was good. And the person said to me, I've never done that before. I said, what was it like? He said, I don't know. But I want to do it again. You know, most children in America today have never heard their fathers pray a prayer for them of blessing. The prayers they have heard are tied to mealtime or bedtime. The heart of Jesus is to bless and to pray. Funny story, way years ago, I remember years and years ago, <laughs> almost three decades ago, I went to a football game so remember, I'm, I'm 38. I'm an idiot, right? Young. So I'm standing. Do I do you tell, tell the whole story or not? All right. I'm at the bathroom with a bunch of other men. And you know where we all are. So one guy says to me, I'm having a Would you pray for me? Sure. You know where we are. So I'm praying for this guy in the bathroom, right? And I just, and I got up, I turned around, 
everybody, everybody's like this. <laughs> now, I can tell you stories at Vermeer, at Pellicorp, in parking lots, in all kinds of places. You, having the heart of Jesus, are praying in all kinds of places, in all kinds of settings, in simple and beautiful ways. Way to go. Way to go. A couple more things, then we're going to go some application. Um, Morgan, can I have, uh, just go four, five, six real quick, real fast. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything we do flows from it. So think about this sentence. The condition of our hearts will be revealed in defilement or holiness. If you want to have fun, ask the people you love the most, what has my heart been like to you this week? My emotions, my wills, my desires. Next slide, please. Ideas may enter our hearts, and who knows their long-term impact. But what pierces the heart determines how we live. We are defined by what is held in our hearts. Whatever we focus our minds, our wills, our desires on becomes the focus of how we live. Next slide, please. The sins we commit conceive in our hearts and then commit bring us into defilement. And in Mark, the phrase is into debt to God. Now, here's my sense. The diet, the heart needs far more attention than the diet. So many of us are concerned about what we eat and that's good, and that's right. How many of us are concerned about what's going into our hearts? Because this is the place in which we live. Will we say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be connected with my heart. I want to have your heart so that you live your life through Amen? So here's the action step for the day, and we're going to move it now. I'm going to invite the worship leaders up. I'm going to ask for two minutes of silence. And then could each of us just ask the Lord, is there a place in my heart, in my will, in my thinking, in my desiring that's defiled, that needs cleansing? Is there something in me, the Lord, that needs cleansing? So we just listen and see what he brings to mind. And then afterwards, we have ways to respond. If you wish, you could stand or kneel as we sing. You could receive communion. Uh, or you could pray with each other, whatever is appropriate. So two minutes of silence, asking the Lord, where right now is my heart defiled? Let that come to the service and offer it to the Lord.
So Lord Jesus, I'm asking, we are asking that where our hearts are defiled or dirty, that your cleansing love would just wash over, wash away, make clean, make beautiful, make precious, make holy. So come. Come, Lord Jesus. Be a doctor and do heart surgery. Repair, restore, and heal. And then empower us to be people who live expressing your love, your joy, your peace, your patience. So thank you for giving us new hearts. May our hearts ever become like yours. We do pray in your name.